Welcome to Lifelines. I'm Joe Panetta, President and CEO of Biocom California, the state's life science association bringing unparalleled advocacy, experience, and best practices to the industry in California and around the world. In this podcast, we give you access to industry leaders for candid, one-on-one conversations about their career journeys and the latest innovations so that you can keep up with the pulse of what's happening in life science today. Thank you for joining us. This episode of Lifelines starts now. Welcome to Lifelines. I'm your host, Chris Connor, and today our special guest is Molly He. Molly is the co-founder of Element Biosciences and has served as the CEO since the company's inception in 2017. She has more than 20 years of experience in technology innovation and management in the biotechnology and healthcare industries with leadership roles at Foresight Capital, Illumina, Pacific Biosciences, and Sinesis Pharmaceuticals. At Element Biosciences, Molly and her team are innovating genetic analysis tools and making next-gen sequencing technology more accessible for the advancement of science. Molly, welcome to the Lifelines podcast. Thank you so much, Chris, and thank you for having me. Uh, My pleasure. Our pleasure, I should say. So Element's newest NGS instrument is Avidi. Can you explain the technology and how it differs from your competitors? Yeah, um, I, I will start from why we named this company Element, and because that actually has a, a lot of background, the history behind that. So the reason we named our company Element is that, you know, in order for us to build a brand new, much better sequencing technology we felt like we have to start from scratch using the first principles um, methodology. What that means is that completely deconstruct a sequencing platform into individual technical elements, and hence the element biosciences, right? And then reinvent every single element to do two things, which I'll talk about just in a second. And then you recombine these elements together to have a much better platform. Um, so we we essentially re-innovated surface chemistry, uh, sequencing chemistry, amplification, detection scheme, and algorithm all together. And with two things in keep you know we kept in mind. Number one is how do we increase signal to noise ratio in all of these elements? Because signal-to-noise ratio is very important for all of these assays, including sequencing. If we can have orders of magnitude better signal-to-noise ratio, we can use that as a budget to assign to you know better accuracy, lower cost, or faster turnaround time, what have you. The second thing we kept in mind, which we don't really talk too much about, is the extensibility of these technical elements, right? What that means is that we're not only building sequencer per se, we're building a tool that is future-proof. So what that means is really these technical elements can be used for detecting other type of molecules, including cells, including proteins, what have you. Um, yeah, so I, I think this is the piece that we're very proud of ourselves. You know, We're very unique in the sense, um, have not seen anybody else is doing that currently in the field. I like the whole concept of using increased signal to noise as a budget that you can distribute in different ways. Um, 
to not only improve the quality of what comes out, but um, lower the cost, as you mentioned. So we're going to talk about that. The um, BD system enables sequencing for as little as $200 a genome with 30x coverage in less than 24 hours. How are you able to offer that high quality data at that low cost? Right. So that really goes back to the fundamentals, the signal to noise ratio, right? So maybe talk a little bit about the AVD sequencing, as you asked about that um, earlier. So this is a concept, um, it's actually very well used in other industry, like the antibody engineering industry. It's basically based on the concept of multivalency binding, right? So what what I um, have in analogy is this proprietary compound we invented, we call it avidite, is a shape of octopus, right? So you have a head that where you can label multiple fluorophores onto the head. So that actually increased the signal significantly. In some other sequencing platforms, you usually only have one fluorophore per nucleotide, so you cannot scale the signal. But in our case, we can signal uh, increase, scale the signal tremendously. And the other parts of the compound, the evodite, is are like ten- tentacles of the octopus. So we have multiple tentacles coming out. At the end of each one has a nucleotide. So now you're looking at the compound with multiple nucleotides. These multiple nucleotides can bind to multiple DNA strands with multiple polymerases. And that kind of multivalency really increased the binding affinity significantly by orders of a magnitude. So in regular cases, in other chemistry, you know, you, you require micromolar range of uh, nucleotide. But in our case, you only require nanomolar range. Right. So so we pass on that kind of savings, orders of magnitude, reagent reduction savings into our, to our customers. So that's one thing. The other thing you mentioned about high data quality, it also has something to do with the multivalency, because now you have multiple chances of binding to make it correct. So in the other sequencing uh, chemistry, you only have one chance. There's one nucleotide one DNA strand, and one DNA polymerase. If that one gets wrongly incorporated, you read the wrong signal. But in our case, because each Evodai has multiple, now polymerase has multiple chances to make a right call. So therefore, you you, you increase the data accuracy significantly. So these are just some examples how we can make it happen. So this might be a little bit of a sidetrack, but now you've got me very curious about the sequencing chemistry. So when you say a polymerase has multiple chances, Mm -hmm. are you growing multiple strands of DNA simultaneously? Yes. And so, but multiple identical ones. Yes. So it's add one, detect, add the next, detect. And it's this octopus structure that's giving you that massive boost in signal. Exactly. Massive boost in signal and also data accuracy, because now you have this multivalency binding, right? Even one, if, if one arm or one tentacle making a wrong contact, it's okay, because there's a few others still making the correct contact. 
Right. So any errors get washed out by the presumably seven other correct signals coming at that stage. Yeah. Nice. Um, talk a little bit about that $200 per genome plan. I'm sure there's some scale involved in that to optimize your cost, but what is it? Yeah, absolutely. So when we launched last year, uh, there were a lot of questions about, okay, you know, we talked about your pricing, you're being transparent, you know, our region cost is $1,680 per kit. Is there going to be volume-based discount? And we said, yes, of course, there will be volume-based discount. We just don't know. <laughs> you know, we don't have enough information on what kind of discount uh, to provide. Now, six months after we launched the uh, um, platform, we now have more information. We think it's about time for us to come out with a volume-based discount. But instead of, you know, doing very typical volume-based discount, this is more or less a subscription model, if you will. And um my analogy will be, it's actually Sean Levy's analogy, um, it's a genome buffet. So you go into a buffet, you pay $100, for example, and you go there, eat one plate, and that plate is $100 a plate. But if you had a great appetite, you, you know, eat 10 plates, then it's become $10 a plate. So our $200 genome is very similar to these kind of genome at the buffet concept. Essentially, the customer will pay, you know, a quarterly upfront fee for a certain amount of kits. But if you use all of them, it becomes $200 per genome. Now, one thing I wanted to emphasize is that it's not just limited to whole genome, right? It, it can be for any applications. We don't put any constraint on what customer can use in terms of applications. Right. The per genome price is sort of just a benchmark in the industry. Like, what would it take to do a presumably human genome yeah. for how many dollars, right? Yes. And so, yeah, you're paying for the reagents up front. And if you know that you're going to have a certain throughput, then you can calculate what your cost is going to be per reaction. Yeah. And even if you only sequence, you know, three genomes a year or something, it's still a really great deal because you're getting $500 and 60, no, $560 per genome. That's our list price without any discount, right? So that, that really is still the best on a desktop sequencer you can get. All right. So you previously worked at Illumina, the established industry leader in genome sequencing, and now you're competing against them. What drove you to start your own sequencing company? I have to say I did not plan for it. <laughs> just like all the great things happening, I never really planned for it. It just happened. But I would say it's a really perfect combination of, you know, all preparation and opportunity. So I, when I was at Foresight Capital doing uh, investment in the genomic space, I was approached by two of my past coworkers at Illumina, and they also left Illumina. They approached me and said, oh, we wanted to start a new company, but we don't know what exactly we want to work on. Can we brainstorm? And also, we need your help to getting funding. So I'm like, sure, love to help. And three of us basically brainstormed at UCSD library for many months. And I was, I, I know it was actually pretty difficult time for all of us, but, you know, um, because I, I also have a full-time job and the other two co-founders were not paid because they, they quit Illumina. They were not paid, right? So that's why I came up to like the UCSD idea because it was free facility for us. Um, 
So that startup idea actually came out of the UCSD um, whiteboard, right? So we initially thought we wanted to uh, build a reagent company focused on making reagents for other sequencing companies or other life sciences companies. Then we realized in order for us to do a good job as a reagent company, we must understand the secrets and and foundational science of those platforms and will be very difficult to do if we just kind of doing it from outside. And then we thought, well, why don't we make our own platform? So there is a part of naivety in there because we never would imagine how much more difficulty and challenges we will encounter during the journey, but it's all worth it in the end. So, yeah, so we came up, okay, let's do a sequencer, but we don't want to just do a sequencer. We want to this tool to be future-proof, right? So that, yeah, so this is how Elements Born. I think that's a great story for any entrepreneurs thinking about, obviously you did some market analysis because if you just told me you started out thinking about a reagent company and end up with a whole platform, I'd go, that's a pretty big leap. But you obviously did a lot of research on what it would take to make it work and realized, hey, here's an opportunity. So Yeah, yeah. So definitely we, we know um, Illumina has, you know, they did a really great job and they're dominating the entire market and there is opportunity there for another competitor, right? And com- competition makes innovation. So this is what we're truly passionate about. Yeah, I mean, it's it's inspiring on a lot of levels. Um, so how are, I mean, we've talked a little bit about how you're approaching sequencing differently. I think we've covered that. But what are the keys to success now as a startup going against an established dominant player? How do you, how do you make that work? Yeah, I would say it's multifactorial. And the number one thing is we must have a product that's fully differentiated and, and also future-proof. Right. So I, I think, you know, right now I'm, I'm actually really happy and proud of the entire team to put the AVD together in such a short period of time. We're now at better data quality, lower cost and better flexibility. And in, in the future, you know, we will actually add more functionalities into the same box, which is something nobody else can do. So that's the first piece. I think you've got to have a product that is different, differentiated, also you know, meets unmet market needs, right? And the second piece, I think it's really, really important is about the people. And we are taking on a, a tremendous challenge here. And I, I will say it again, never really planned for this, <laughs> but but now we're in this, we must do a great job because, you know, we're driven by, by our mission that is to decentralize sequencing and democratizing sequencing. Um, people is the most critical asset for us. And, and not everybody is su- suitable for this kind of job. And I think it's it's, it's almost like a mutual select selection, you know. Um, we select great people with grit and passion. Um, and also these people select us because they wanted to be able to make an impact, to be able to innovate freely. And those kind of things you don't get, you know, in a very well-established companies. So 
very proud of all of our 310 people. Um, they chose to do the hard work. Yeah, that's uh, that's just an interesting profile in employment, right? So some people will be drawn to the the ability to go into a cocktail party and say, I work for Illumina. And everybody goes, oh, I know who that is. Other people are drawn to the idea of like, no, I'm working... <laughs> you know, in a different way in a startup where I have more freedom, more innovation, probably a little more pressure, but it's just a different thing. And there are people, as you say, select for those different roles. All right. So you're democratizing sequencing. Where do you see this taking us in the next five to 10 years? I would really like to see a true democratization of sequencing. Um, what that means is I've, I've read the report just very recently, I believe it's a BBC report. Um, 86% of genomic data today is from Western Europeans. And that creates a huge gap in between, you know, different ethnicity groups in terms of understanding of the diseases and prevention of diseases and treatment of diseases. Um, true democratization of sequencing will actually allow us to see sequence all ethnicities, right? And, and actually making sequencing more accessible to the areas where they do not have very expensive capex to buy expensive instruments. And that takes not only the technology innovation, but really also social revolution to get there. Um, so I'm, I'm very passionate about that. And I think Element's mission really is to increase access of sequencing, not just to developed countries, but all underdeveloped countries as well. Um, yeah, I'll pause here. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking, I mean, when you say democratizing science or sequencing, I was thinking about it a little differently. But, mm -hmm. you know, when we start to sequence different ethnicities, not only is that good for their populations, of course, but for biology in general, because the presumption is they may suffer from different things or have carried different mutations for the same things that other that are already recognized. And yet we learn something new about the biology when we find those variations, right? Yeah. So that benefits everyone. Yeah. Um, okay. Elements mission to empower the scientific community with more freedom and flexibility. Where do you think, I mean, may, this may be the thing you just talked about, but where you have the biggest impact and, and do you have plans outside or beyond because you've talked about this platform for other things beyond nucleic acid? Seed? Yeah. So, so I, I think this is kind of still connected to the democratization piece. The first part, um, our mission is to increase the freedom accessibility, right, of all these tools to scientific community. What that means is that um, when you look at the sequencing industry in the past decade, you know, Illumina has really done a fantastic job dri driving down the cost. But so far, the only way to drive down the cost of sequencing is by scaling the number of sample samples to run on the same sequencing run. So what I call is a like wholesale approach, right? It's, it's almost like you're going to Costco to buy a whole bunch of to toilet paper or something along those lines. You get very cheap uh, unit price, but you have to buy a lot. Um, that's not a true democ a, a democratization. And 
what we really want to do is, okay, how can we combine the best of both worlds, both retail and, and wholesale worlds? So the retail worlds, you know, the best thing about them is the flexibility. You, you can only buy one thing. So you don't have to buy a whole bunch. And a lot of times quality might also be much better. But the wholesale piece is that you get very low unit price. So how can we tie these two together, basically providing retail quality and um, flexibility at the wholesale price per unit? So this is what we truly meant, like, because when we do that, we can give the freedom back to the scientists. They do not have to wait to batch their samples or they do not have to send their samples out to get those economics of scale, they can do it themselves. So they have the control of their own science and because science cannot wait. That's what we say all the time, right? Yeah, so I think the second part you, you asked about is the um, you know, other type of assays. Uh, we're very passionate about putting protein assays onto this exactly same platform. Um, I actually came from a background protein engineering. So I'm a huge fan of protein. And even, even though, you know, genetics information tells us so much about how, how um, the foundational disease is about, but at the same time, it's not the whole picture. So you still need the protein piece. You still need the metabolome piece, for example, many, many other pieces to come together to solve the puzzle. So because of that, we're interested in adding all these different modularities and functionalities onto the platform. All right, you've led this company from the beginning. What have been your biggest challenges as a as a startup? That's a good question. All of all many many challenges <laughs> every day. We we have a lot of challenges. Um, I would have to come back to people. Um, hiring the best. Hiring the most fit, I will say, it's probably a better word for that. And then grow them because the company, when company grows, it probably requires different phenotype. And if we, we will have to grow the people to meet that kind of uh, phenotype and really empower them to do the things they, they intend to do, you know, they are attracted to do when they first come here. Um, I think people management is a lot harder. Leading people is a lot harder than leading a technology, to be honest with you. I'm a technologist, so probably I don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's follow that. I mean, uh, let's talk about your own growth path. What what challenges did you have in your own career that made a difference for what you're doing now? Having a great mentor that is both demanding and supportive made a huge difference in my life. Um, you, you know, I actually came to UCLA. You I, I was born and raised in China. I came to UCLA for graduate school. At that time, I wasn't still, I wasn't convinced I'm interested in science or I wanted to do science, which is, you know, very much shocking to a lot of people. Um, I was looking for some other, you know, I talked to law school professors, business professors, what have you. I just did not settle on science. But I had this great mentor 
who really, really taught me not only the mystery or excitement behind solving a scientific problem, but also really the, the passion instilled in me is just unbelievable. I, I think this everybody needs a mentor or two in the in their career. And I was very fortunate to have that. That's a perfect segue to my last question, which is about DE&I. It's we're recording this on International Women's Day. Getting and keeping more women and underrepresented groups interested in science is always a challenge. What are your thoughts about what we can do to improve that situation? Yes, uh, great timing. Uh, we just did a, a um, woman in genomics panel this morning, and uh, it was very insightful. Um, one of the topics, you know we discussed is pay equality. That's one of them. Because a, a lot of women faculties, you know, left STEM, not because they're not interested and not because some other external reasons. It's really because they were not funded equally as their male counterpart. So that's one thing. And we, we have to, as a society, support those funding for women in STEM equally. And, and, and that's one thing. The second thing, you know, we, we discuss about is education. I think it's really, really important. I'm very passionate about that. You know, that connects to the mentorship and everything. But education foundationally, as early as elementary schools, to instill that kind of passion in science, in our young women, um, I think that that, uh, that will go a long way. Very nice. Molly Heather, thank you so much for this. This has been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you so much, Chris. And thank you all for listening to the first season of Lifelines. For more information on Molly Heather and Element Biosciences, visit elementbiosciences.com. And if you're a life science company looking to join Biocom California or be featured on this podcast, email us podcast at biocom.com dot o r g